0: Um, how's everyone doing? Good morning. Welcome to church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's very, you know, it's a very beautiful morning. Literally the first day of summer. Well, not literally, but it feels like it's the first day. And uh, God brought the sunlight. I'm trying to make it short so we can always also enjoy the sunlight. So amen to that. Although I must warn you (laughs) There's about eight pages to go through. I, I was speaking to my wife. I was like, this time I'm going to make it five pages, make it nice and short. And then, you know, I start writing and start getting inspired and then made it eight pages. But we'll get through it. Amen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Um, we are going to continue our evangelism series. Say, uh still... Uh, yes, yeah, still, we're still on this topic. We believe that God still has something to speak to you about evangelism. And if you were here, the last time I spoke, I, I spoke about my issues with this word because it creates a category, because it's so bible it because there's so much weight, you know, that's, that's associated with this word oftentimes. But really, if you remember, uh, what are we called actually to do? We're simply called to just plant seeds, that is your ultimate calling. It's, you know, and I said it, and you repeat after me. I am a farmer planting seeds. yee That's right. You are a farmer planting seeds. That is your calling in life. And we believe that every single person here has that calling. And that's why we continue to preach it, because we fully and firmly believe in this. Um. And so we, uh, we're going to continue with this topic, and uh, I wanted to start by sharing an experience I had in college, which was so long ago uh, at this point. I, uh, this is an experience that happened in 2009, and I was a freshman in college, which is insane because that was 10 years ago. That's crazy. That is insane. I am getting old. Last, last week, Last week or two weeks ago, I celebrated my 29th year of birth. 29. Oh, my God. This is crazy. 29. And that means if I'm old, that means you're all getting old as well. So we're in this together. We're in this struggle together. Lord, have mercy over our lives. I thank you for all of those who, you know, uh, wish me a happy birthday. I appreciate you. Uh, for those who, who didn't. Um I appreciate you as well. That means I don't have any pressure to wish you a happy birthday, which is great. That's great. Um so I appreciate that. Let's just mutually agree that we don't need to celebrate anyone's birthday so that no one feels pressure. Can we f- No, let's not do that. Um I'm kidding. Um But this is an experience that happened in 2009. It was my freshman year of college and uh I it was an um, evangelistic experience, and I'll go into that. It's, um, it was spring break of freshman year, and I went to Panama City, Florida. Does anyone know what that is? I, when I originally thought of going to Panama City, I thought I actually was going to Panama. But there's apparently a place in Florida, a town in Florida called Panama City, but it's in Florida, Okay and this is for those of you who don't know if you live in the south or if you live in the Florida region it's pretty like hot spring break spot. It's well known like all the college students go and you know it's not the most holy of places um and and actually the I was part of when I was on campus I was part of a um a uh, a group that was called Campus Crusade for Christ. I don't know how many people know that. Um Campus Crusade I think they've since changed their name because you don't want a Christian organization to have the word crusade in it. It has uh, strange connotations. Um, but they have, I think they have changed their name. But I was part of this ministry and it was awesome. And I decided my freshman year of college that I was going to dedicate my spring break to going to Panama City to actually speak the gospel to the students that were there. So it was an evangelistic, actually, because there, part of this program, they, they united college-age students to go and speak the gospel to the people, that the spring breakers that were there to, uh, you know, just party. Say cornball. <laughs> cornball. Um, when I tell you I'm like an OG Christian, this is what I mean. Like in, in freshman year, you know, I was like preaching the gospel. Um I remember uh, I took the Greyhound bus to from New York to Florida, which is the worst idea you can ever have. The Greyhound bus, and the reason I did this is because f- uh, flights were like a $1, thousand, twelve hundred dollars each. I wasn't like on a college budget. I was going to like I was joining groups in college just so I could get the free pizza for lunch. So I didn't have that money, um, and so I took the Greyhound. It was like you know sixty dollars, which, which again is. Too cheap, Um, and there's a reason. It's because it was a miserable experience. Um, You're in the sketchiest neighborhoods. It took like 28 hours. Like you have stops in the in the craziest places. On my way there, my phone got stolen. Um, I was I you know here I am like college student like ooh yo you know I'm so happy like there's people like dealing drugs on the side and like you know I'm here like you know get getting ready to to plug in my phone. I leave my phone charging. I take out my laptop. You know, I start <laughs> I start working on my laptop, and I'm like, you know, where's the Wi-Fi password? It's like, there's no Wi-Fi, boy. Like, you know, there's no, there's nothing good here. There's, there's no internet, nothing. Um, and so I, uh, you know, it was an interesting experience getting to Panama City, to say the least. But I got there, amen. I got there. Um, I, uh, and 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 if you don't, again, if if you don't know this experience, I'll briefly explain it to you. It's it's basically the full week, and in the morning we had a service. In the afternoon, we would go out in groups of two to actually share the gospel with people on the beach, with people in different restaurants. It was really, really nice time, um, you know, and and, and very challenging. Um, and I remember after that, every day you would come back and you'd give testimonies of people that either accepted Christ or great conversations that you had and whatnot. And I remember there was one guy who... Um, <laughs> and like here i am like i'm i'm going into this with the right heart like i'm you know, I'm filled with like, yo, you know, I got the right arguments to prove to people that God is real. Like, you know, if they they throw out evolution, I'll be like, yeah, I believe in that too. i be like, what? Oh, yo, wow. You know, and then I'm like, yo, I have the right logical reasoning. I have, I can debate with anyone. Here I am freshman year, you know, like thinking that I got it all figured out and I think I'm going to get there and I'm, you know, everyone's going to, you know, wow, be be like amazed at, at all the wisdom that I have. And, and I get there and no one that I speak to accepts christ not one single person and there was one guy who every single day had a testimony he was known every single day for being the guy that like you know anyone he spoke to he had at least three to five people every single day that accepted christ after he spoke to them and i was like damn like that's not fair that is not fair he doesn't have what i got here i know the right heart um and I, I remember there was a, a little feeling of jealousy. You know how that works in certain churches. There was a little jealousy. Um, I remember the only person that actually came to go and accept Christ. So we went out in two. Usually one person does the talking, the other does the praying. And then at one point I was like, you know, it's not really working out, so I'll just be the prayer. The person that did the talking, that was the only time in my group of two that someone actually accepted Christ, when I was silent. Isn't that hilarious? When I said nothing... Someone finally accepted Christ. It was hilarious, um, but obviously God was working in my heart. Um, but but you know, all, all jokes aside, like this was a very unique experience, and it's, it was through first of all like this experience that I started to understand that first of all people are just hungry for God, like and 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 also I and it's also the issue that I have with the word evangelism, I also was able to expand my definition of what accepting Christ actually means and actually understand that I was simply planting seeds, right? Because while certain people maybe didn't, you know, from the 20 minutes that I had a conversation didn't accept Christ and, you know, raised their hands and there's keyboards in the background. We didn't have any of that, but I knew I was there planting seeds. And the greatest conversations that I had was when I was vulnerable, was when I was open with people, was when I was sharing my experience with Jesus, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the, the essence of our message. It's not what are the logical arguments that we can have, what is the, you know, the, the, the way that we can shape our, our, our talk to, to really force Jesus down people's throats. It's, no, it's Who is Jesus to me? What experience do I have with him? And how can I share that story? That is the essence of the gospel. That is the essence of of what we call evangelism. And like I said, the greatest experiences that I had in that, you know, in in that week was when I was just opening up to people about, yeah, like, I have the same doubts, man. I have the same doubts, but... This is why I believe in spite of the doubts. And I don't believe because I fully understand Genesis to Revelation. I fully am able to reconcile ancient Hebrew text with, you know, the the science of today. That's not why I believe. I believe because of Jesus. I believe because I have an experience with Jesus. I believe because Jesus transformed my heart because he was a historical figure. And I can point to him and say, yes, he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. That is why I believe. Not because the Bible told me so e- e- either. It's because Jesus told me so. And I know Jesus through the Bible. First Timothy 1 Timothy sa- 1.5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is the aim of what we do here. It's, 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 it's love. And this love issues from a pure heart from a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's a great three-point sermon right there. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. But today I didn't I didn't come to, you know, just simply give you a three-point sermon. Um I just want you to remind to remind you that the essence of our message is Jesus Christ. There's no greater strategy, there's no greater story, there's no greater sermon, there's no greater message than the person of Jesus Christ. And so my question to you is, how are you going to share the gospel if Jesus doesn't actually mean anything to you? The message of Jesus is only worth sharing if it actually means something to you. And so what are the experiences that you can point to, that you can share with others, where Jesus means something to you? And I'm not here to to put weight on anyone. I'm just saying I want you to be encouraged to seek more experiences with Jesus because that is the essence of the gospel, church. The essence of the gospel is not a great logical argument. It is Jesus died and resurrected so that you can have life and life abundantly. And that life starts now. It's not an eternal life. It's not a one-way ticket to heaven. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a life that is eternal And John says eternal life is that you may know God. Eternal life is not that you may die and go to heaven. Eternal life is actually knowing God. Eternal life is having experiences with God, a relationship with God. That is what changes lives. That is what changes minds. That is what changes hearts. And Friday, we had a special service that we keep alluding to. It was a Portuguese service with uh, different speakers. We have Otto, who's in the house, speaking, and it was awesome. And, and what he said that really stuck to me it was like, listen, I, I don't want to live in the experience of my parents. I, I want to live my own experiences with Jesus. And I want you to be encouraged to not live the experiences of the pastors of the church, not simply live the experiences of what Scripture says, but actually have your own experiences with Jesus himself. And actually seek to to grow in relationship with him because he is the truth, he is the way, he is the life. And so I've had my own shift in in living my own experiences with Jesus that are separate from the experiences that my parents had. Because I'm a different person. And I encourage you to do that as well. So my question to you again is, have you experienced Jesus for yourself? Who is Jesus Christ to you, church? We're going to read a story that, if you grew up in church or if you've been in church for at least a year, you've probably already heard a sermon on this story. It's a woman who is uh, dealing with a constant um, outflow of, of bleeding. Uh, I think it's called a hemorrhage. Um, it's detailed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to read out of the passage in Mark, which I think has more details about the, the situation. And um, it's Mark chapter five, verses twenty-four to thirty-four. And uh, so you can understand the context here. Again, I always like to read scripture, and I and I advise you to do the same. Scripture in its proper context to really extract what's what the message is. Um, the context here is Jesus was already becoming a popular figure. Jesus had already cured, you know, a lot of people the word was starting to spread like there's something different about this guy like people are like dead and then they resurrect when he speaks you know the winds hear hear him like he calms storms he he heals the sick he heals people that are paralyzed He, he heals people that are blind and so so the ministry of jesus was starting to boom there was there was a sense of expectation of like maybe this guy is the messiah Maybe he's the one that is actually going to give Israel back its glory. Maybe this is the one. And so in the beginning of this chapter, Jesus um, uh, is, is actually called by a religious uh, figure um, to go and heal his daughter. So Jesus, you know, steps on land. He, he was on a boat. He steps on land, and a crowds always gathered around him. A religious figure comes up and says, You have to go heal my daughter. My daughter's about to die. Please do something. So you, to understand the context, people knew that Jesus had something different, right? Um, and on the way to to, to meet with his daughter, Jairus' daughter, um, is where we, we find our context here and in Mark 5, where a large crowd was following him on this journey. And let's read it. Mark 5, chapter, or Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34. And I'll start with a large crowd followed and pressed around him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Verse 25, And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? That was my Jesus voice. Um, You see the people crowding against you, you know, the disciples answered, and and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful weather we have outside. Father, And I, um, I just pray right now that your word may find fertile hearts here today fertile ground here today in our minds, in our hearts, that we may open our ears to listen the word that you have to preach through me, Father. And so I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I want you to really understand this story. I assume, let's raise hands. Who has also heard this story before? Most people. Yeah. So it's not new. We have read this a lot of times. But I want you to understand the state that this woman was in. The Bible doesn't explain what she had, but it said that it was a continuous discharge of blood that happened for for many days at a time. And, uh, And she had been dealing with this for over a decade, for 12 years. And if you don't... If you go back to the Old Testament, to Leviticus 15, you'll understand a little bit more of why this woman was in the state that she was in. Because she was deemed by the law as unclean. Leviticus 15 says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, say menstrual, (laughs) some of you actually said not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the dis- discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. Again, there's that word. Um, Whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Everything this woman touched her bed, her clothes, people were deemed unclean. She had a mark on her that said unclean. That means she couldn't be with a man, she couldn't interact, she couldn't hug, she couldn't kiss anyone. She wasn't even allowed in the, in, the, in the temple. She had no access to God because she was barred from the temple. Why? Because she was unclean. There was no atonement for her, no forgiveness, until she was made clean again. In the time of her discharge, she was still deemed unclean. And she had no hope left. You have to understand the depth of the desperation in someone in this, in this context. There was no hope for someone like her. She had spent her life savings on experts trying to figure out what was wrong with her, trying to get some sort of treatment, and nothing had worked. How many times do we spend so much time and effort going to experts when all we are called to do is go to Jesus himself? And this is the situation this woman was fi- found herself in. She probably, I wonder, as I try to understand her psyche, I wonder if she just lost hope. She was at the end of herself. Maybe she's like, is life, is life even worth living? Right? She couldn't interact with anyone. She had no hope. No one could heal her. No one could help her out. She couldn't even enter the temple. She had no access to God. She was a reject, an outcast of society. So she was at the end of herself, and she heard about this man called Jesus. And Jesus had healed people already by the time of this writing, by the time of this event, or else you wouldn't have crowds around him. Jesus had performed many miracles at this time. And he had healed the sick. He had, you know, done miraculous things. And and she thought, maybe, maybe this guy has something. And so she pushes through the crowd. And and if you you think about it, she shouldn't actually be in the crowd, right? She's taking a step of faith because actually she was not supposed to be out in the open like that. This was a dangerous thing for her to do. She, She wasn't supposed to touch anyone. But she didn't care. She she pushed through because she was at the end of her hope. She said, I have no hope for my life anymore. I'm desperate. I have no one to turn to. It's often in our most desperate situations that we finally turn to the one called Jesus Christ. And she pushes through. and And you see in verse 28, she says, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I don't need him to give me a a word. I don't need him to to spit and and rub ointment on my face. No. If I just simply interact with him, have one touch of his garments, maybe I will be healed. A desperate, desperate situation. And that is precisely what she did. And, And verse 29 says, Immediately when she touched him, her bleeding stopped and she fell in her body. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately, with the touch of a garment, of Jesus' garment, she was healed. Now I ask you, why doesn't the story stop there? Me, with my rational mind, I think the healing happened already right? To me, 12 years of suffering are done. She was healed. There is no reason for Jesus to expose her. Do you agree with me? There is no reason for him to call her out amidst the crowd because the healing had happened. The physical healing had already taken place. She got what she wanted. Now let me ask you, why did Jesus have to expose her like that? If we read on, Jesus stops and he asks, who touched me? The people around him are confused because there's a crowd of people touching him from all sides. They don't get it. But Jesus again insists, who touched me? Why did Jesus expose her like that? At face value, if if you think about the desperate situation she's in, she shouldn't be in this crowd. Everyone knows that she is unclean. Leviticus says she is unclean. She got the healing. She's healed. Let her go away, Jesus. Let her continue in obscurity. The healing had happened. Why did Jesus expose her like that? Are you with me? It seems strange, no? Seems kind of mean. Because she could potentially be stoned. Because she's not supposed to be touching, interacting with people. She's making other people unclean. Verse 33 says, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She was trembling with fear. She had been discovered. She, they had found her out. She wasn't supposed to be touching anyone in her state A lot of things probably went through her mind. Lord, have mercy. She loses all control of her emotions and falls at his feet. She was pleading within herself for God to have mercy. But there's no more hiding anymore. She's now exposed. Jesus asks, who touched me? And she lays it all out there before him. she says, Jesus, it was me. Jesus, here is my shame. Jesus, here is my hurt. Jesus, here is my struggle. How often do we go to Jesus just for the good vibes, the promises that he has, right? Without wanting to be public about it. We go to Jesus because of the good vibes that we receive sometimes, because of the blessings that we can receive. But we want to remain in obscurity We don't want to be public about our faith. Are you with me, church? You see, we want Jesus' miracles to ourselves. We want to keep him to ourselves. But we realize that in God's kingdom, things are different. Jesus calls us out of comfort zones, out of places of anonymity, which feel so safe. It's so safe to just be sitting and, and listening to the word every single week. It's so safe to just pray, you know, in my lonesome and, and and have Jesus bless me. That's so safe. But in reality, it's a trap. It's a trap of comfort. It's a trap that keeps us from living the abundance of life that Jesus actually has for us. Are you following me here, church? This is very important. It's a trap If you want all that Jesus has to offer, you're going to have to be exposed at some point. You're going to have to be public at some point. You can't just keep it to yourself. You can't just keep hiding and going about your day to day as if you know Jesus is is this genie in a bottle that you can just plug into every time you need every time you need a blessing. We are saved so we can be his witness. Jesus doesn't heal you. He doesn't give us life, hope, peace, eternal life, so you can keep it to yourself. We're redeemed, we're sanctified, we're chosen by grace, not to hide, but to share with others. He saved us because he also knows that we can be used as an instrument to bless the people around us as well. He saved you, he's blessed you, because he knows that through your experiences, if you're you're sharing them with others, other lives will be blessed. And his gospel will spread. He wants to use you to be his testimony. To witness those around you. A witness about Jesus to those around you. Amen, church. We are saved so we can be his witness. But there's more to this story. That's still bothering me. Because that's one reason why I think he exposed her. There's a deeper reason. See, what happened so far was a physical healing, and for me, that is the most important part in my, you know, simplistic mind sometimes. She had dealt with this for 12 years 12 years of pain, of saying she's not good enough, of not being allowed in the temple, of not being allowed to be with anyone, not being allowed to hug, a kiss. She was kept at arm's length for 12 years. And instantly she's healed. The healing has happened. But you see, that's not what Jesus came to heal. That's not what Jesus simply wanted to heal in her life. The healing that was at face value, there's a much deeper healing that Jesus wanted to heal. Jesus wanted to not only heal her sickness, he wants to heal her heart. This is so good. One, her, one word he says completely changes everything for her. One word shows that Jesus came to do more than just heal and bless us and face value bless us. One word, what's that word? Daughter. Daughter. Verse 34, he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. That word probably enters her ears and, and sends shockwaves throughout her entire body. Daughter? Daughter. Did he say daughter? Did I hear Daughter. Someone, you have to understand the the state of mind that someone is in, in, in over a decade of being called unworthy, of being called unclean, of being rejected, of being outcast. And the word that Jesus uses to address this unclean, imperfect, sinner is daughter. She is a daughter of the living God. You are a son and daughter of the living God, church. Jesus wants to heal some people today also, I believe. Jesus wants to heal you right now. I believe this. You are a son. You are a daughter of the living God. And there's a swagger that comes with being a daughter and son of God. There's a certain swagger you have to walk with. You think Jesus walked like, you know. No, he walked with swagger. Swagger. You're not simply a sum of your past mistakes, church. You're not not called to obscurity. You're not called to hide your gifts and your talents. You're not simply a product of the past. You're not simply a product of the wrong that you've done. You're not simply a product of the wrong that's been done to you. Once you touch Jesus' garment, the healing happens. And, And you go from being unclean, unworthy, a reject, an outcast, living in obscurity to being a son of the living God. Yeah. Satan is called the father of lies, right? And um, he is indeed obviously a liar. But often, and I think Eric spoke to this last week when he when he when he preached often when he wants to trap us he doesn't necessarily just use lies to trap us he will also use truth to trap us superficial half truths stay with me this is what he did with this woman and she probably believed these which are true if you look in the context of the story she's unclean she's not worthy Leviticus 15. She should be cast out. She should be stoned. She doesn't deserve grace. She deserves to live in obscurity. You see, note these aren't actually lies. These are actually true in a sense, right? See, when the, when the enemy can't lie to trap us, he, he, he's, he's actually going to revert to using half-truths or surface-level truths, right, to trick you. To fool you. To keep you from discovering a deeper revealed truth. To keep you trapped in shame and discomfort and weakness and fear. He tried the same thing with Jesus. When, he was, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the, in the desert, he wasn't tempting him with lies. Right? The three things that he said were actually true. If you go back, he says, If you're the son of God... Tell the stone to become bread. I am the Son of God. I can do that. Half-truth. Jesus steps in, though. <laughs> Jesus steps in, and on the surface-level half-truth, there's a deeper revelation that is placed on top. You have the half-truth, but then when Jesus steps in, there's a revelation, not of what is, but what is to come. Not of how you are now, but how you should be. Right. The half truth is you're the son of God. You should, you, you know, you're hungry. You should make this this s- stone become bread. The real truth is, yeah, but it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. Right. The half truth is, you know, he brings Jesus to a to a uh, surface and he says, all of this has been given to me. If you just worship me, I'll give it all to you. That's that's the half truth. But the real truth is that it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That is the revelation that trumps half-truths. Are you with me? The third thing that Satan says, finally, throw yourself from this mountain because it's written his angels will guard you carefully. Aren't you the son of God? Just throw yourself and the angels will come to your rescue. It's true. That could happen. But the deeper revelation is that it is also written don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? And so often we're living in the, li- not the lies, but the half-truths. Often you're living in the half-truths, in the, in the superficial truth. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. Yeah, that's true. You are a sinner, but God's grace is sufficient for you. Romans 5.20 says that where sin abounds, grace abounds ever more abundantly. Right? The half-truth, the superficial truth is, yes, you're a sinner. The greater revelation of Jesus is that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you with me, church? This is awesome. I came to preach today, church. This is awesome. And this is not going to be something you're only going to realize in four days' time. This I hope you realize now. Amen? You see, the half-truth is I'm weak. I'm fearful. The revelation of Jesus is that in my weakness, he is strong. Right? The half-truth is that I have doubts and uncertainty about my future. I try to plan five, ten years in advance, and I I get anxious about it. The real truth is that I am the son of the living father who has the whole earth in his hands. And the future is ultimately in his hands. See, the half-truth is, I don't, know, I don't know about my finances. I'm worried about my finances. That's the superficial truth. Yes, you're worried. But you also serve a God who is the God of silver and gold. That is the revelation. The half-truth is, I, I'm in a desperate situation right now. The half-truth is I don't, I'm not good enough. The half-truth is I don't understand why God had to take this person away. The revelation of Jesus is that I know all things work together for the good of those who love him. Amen, church. So, so can I just encourage you not to live in the half-truths, but live in revelation, You're not living in the half-truth of the word. You're living in the revelation of the revealed word. That's good. And revelation always stumps superficial truth. You see, it doesn't take a special revelation to call out the bad that is in the world. It doesn't take a special sense of insight to to realize that, yeah, people around us are screwed up. People around us need Jesus. Yeah, people around us are not good enough. It doesn't take a special revelation for me to realize I screw up too. I had deep sins that Jesus took from me. It doesn't take a special revelation to realize that, yeah, this world is screwed up. It takes a special revelation, though, to see the gold that people don't see. Right? It takes a special revelation to realize that even though... You're at this point right now, I see a woman of God, I see a son of God, I see a daughter of God, I see someone who is called to preach, I see someone who is called to be a light in their workplace, I see someone who is, you know, you might be struggling with pornography, with sin right now, but the revelation of Jesus Christ is that those things are behind you, that you are not judged, that you are accepted, that you are loved, and that God has a plan and purpose for you. So as the band comes up, I want to encourage you not to live in half-truths, but to live in revelation. And I ask again, who is Jesus to you? Have you experienced the full revelation that you are a son or daughter. You are not unclean. You are not unworthy. Sharing of the gospel is not simply designed for specific people who have a special calling. You are called to be a kingdom builder yourself. And so are you living in the revelation that you are God's son and daughter? Are you living in the half-truth, that you are to remain in obscurity, that you are not worthy? And so as we sing a touch of heaven, I want everyone to stand up.